and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, then. Now, I am lucky enough to help individuals and businesses develop their leadership capabilities from time to time. And I tell you this, it's something I love and feel extremely privileged to get to do as I get to see people grow right before my eyes. I mean, you literally do see light bulbs go on behind people's eyes sometimes when that one thing clicks. And the transformation I get to witness as the week's and months go by is something I'm never going to take for granted. And you just know that the people who end up working for these kind of leaders are really going to benefit hugely from their more rounded, developed approach. Now, many of us have been asked that question sometimes in interviews, right? Who's the best boss you ever worked for and why? Now, for me, the greatest combination of super leaders I've had the joy, and I do mean joy, of working for and with are those who had an almost seamless link between pushing me to be better than I thought I could be, challenging me, stretching me, making me feel uncomfortable at times, but also supporting me, understanding me, and really knowing me as a person. I summarise that as someone who was both, I guess, commercially savvy and also showed genuine compassion. And I still think from what I hear, read, and see that this combination is still rarer than we'd like today. It's a combination that still feels paradoxical to some. But as the working generation continues to transition and our expectations, desires, and needs continue to change, I think this is the combination that will end up being the winning one. But theories are fine. What really counts is what happens in reality. And that's why I'm delighted to be doing today by what I would call a proper operator. For a large organisation who's passionate about what modern human leadership should look like and is driven to making this combination far more common practice than just common sense. Barry, or Baz Robinson, is the operations director north for Park Dean Resorts. It's the UK's biggest holiday park operator with an operation that stretches from the very tippity top of Scotland down to the furthest point at the bottom of the country. It's a complex multi-million pound operation with thousands of support staff touching the lives of millions of customers each year. But it's on a real quest to deliver these commercial, compassionate leaders I speak of. And I'm looking forward with immense pleasure to hearing what's behind all that today. Welcome to the show, Baz. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate your uh, your invite. And I'm uh, looking forward to getting into uh, what perhaps makes commercially savvy but compassionate leaders. It's, um, it's a great phrase that I like that a lot. 
Yeah, I think I genuinely do think this is a winning winning combination. Before we both get awfully excited and start talking all about that stuff, do me a favor, Baz, will you? Tell us a little bit more about you, a little bit about Park Dean, and particularly where your focus is currently. Yeah, so um, my name is Barry Robinson. Lots of people call me Baz, so um, let's stick with that. Um, the Park Dean <laughs> Resorts is the biggest, I would say, the best holiday park operator in the UK. Runs 66 holiday parks, you mentioned right from the very tip of um, uh, the north of Scotland. So Granny's Healing Hay, which is just outside um, Royal Dornoch, a fantastic little village right mm. in the tip of um, the Scottish Highlands, right the way down to Lizard Point, which is on the Mullion Cove uh, in Cornwall, and then everything in between. So fantastic operation, 66 holiday parks. They are um, entirely unique as and as different as you and I are, but have the one golden thread that runs through them is that we are there to create the best experience possible. And one of the things that excites me about the role in the industry is that we create fantastic experiences for our holidaymakers and our owners, but we also create a fantastic experience for individuals to come and work with us and not only work with us, but to be able to progress and develop their careers and their talents. And I actually think um, it is probably Britain's, best kept secret professionally. I worked historically before that in pubs, bars and restaurants. Um, I am without a shadow of a doubt, a glass collector who got extremely lucky. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have a degree. I don't have, um, I don't have anything like that. Um, what I've done is I think spent a lot of time in a lot of roles and tried to take the best and the worst bits of and pieces from those experiences and then in each of those steps that you've made forward, and I haven't planned this, this is this has happened by accident, which is mm. why I'm sure somebody at some point will say, hang on a minute, this guy's a glass collector who actually <laughs> needs to go and collect some glasses again. Um, but I've taken experiences, I think, through all of that and seen how I can model and learn and give back something to um, uh, to the people that work with me. And I think um, I think that's what's exciting now and, um, Park Dean Resorts to reroute and to come back to where I started the conversation. The holiday park, the leisure sector, the industry that you and I are very passionate about provides a wonderful opportunity for people to come in, learn some technical and tactical skills, but also learn um, some experiential skills as well. And it's that experience piece allied to the technical and tactical piece that I think produces really rounded leaders. The challenge, I believe, is the technical and tactical piece is dead easy. Yeah, It's a transactional exchange between you and I. I can teach you how to read a P&L. You can teach me how to work out a gross profit calculation. The real experience piece um, is the challenge. And that's what I believe the very best leaders that I've worked for, as you said in your uh, your introduction, the best leaders I've worked for have been experienced creators and generators. And that's what I've tried to be in the last 20 years that I've been uh, working with people rather than those people working for me. We work together and that's what we're trying to do. Well, I think you are uh, humble in this whole glass collector rubbish. I think that's going to be fun to unpick. And I am looking forward to talking about what makes this commercial compassionate thing? How do you combine the, the, the technical and the personal? I, I am also interested in a bit of the backstory. I mean, we joke about the glass collector that got 
got lucky and someone's going to find you out one day. But I said in the intro, not everybody kind of considers this the the right blend. There's plenty of people still out there operating on a almost the the old kind of leadership control piece, you know, rather than the collaborative involving personal human side and that 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 tougher commercial thing something must have happened in your past we talk about great leaders that we've worked for what's the stimulus right what why do you believe that this is the way forward what happened to you in your past to formulate that view i think that's interesting that i there are um there's a scale of operator that i think i work you very kindly referred to me as a proper operator and I, I don't, that's not for me to say, but I've worked with operators and I've looked and observed operators. I think there's a scale of operators. There is a scale at one end of that scale. There is an operator that winds their, um, rolls their sleeves up, puts their welly boots on, goes and gets out in the muck and bullets. Is absolutely the cold face, leads from the front, drives their team on and delivers some stuff. But those individuals that are with that leader right at the front aren't necessarily learning anything other than the transactional piece of this is how you do that because my leader is doing that. Mm -hmm. And then the other opposite side of that scale, um, there's an operator who entirely coaches and develops, doesn't put their wellies on, doesn't roll their sleeves up, is going to let people fail because they'll fail through their own experience. And I've worked for both of those guys, both of those guises of leadership and I know fundamentally that I worked for one guy a chap called Chris Wellen who I worked with when I was at Green King brilliant brilliant guy what Chris did brilliantly was to understand the nuance of when you needed to step in and do it roll the sleeves up get stuff done for me make stuff stick because I for whatever reason couldn't do it but he also understood when he needed to back off and coach me and allow me the safety net and the space to be able to learn through my own experience. That's not, not necessarily mistakes because mistakes are not mistakes. They're mistakes if you continually repeat them. Yeah. But that initial mistake is an experience. And he allowed me the space to get some experience. So what he, what he did effectively was to get right in the middle of that sweet spot of operator scale, knowing when to step in and get the job done. and to make some stuff happen and to make that stuff stick. But he also understood when to back off and allow that individual to learn. And I think it comes back to that question about understanding um, and taking bits and pieces. I was a glass collector who worked for a um, a, a licensed house manager in the days um, that did absolutely nothing three days a week, played golf for four days a week and did about three hours a day um, <laughs> and made us do all the work. Um, he got a massive bonus. We got paid minimum wage, um, and it was fairly disillusioned. I learned pretty quickly then that that wasn't that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. I worked for somebody else pretty quickly after that, who was an absolute control freak. Did absolutely everything, mm-hmm. and we couldn't learn from that. Yeah. Um, and then I I worked for people who, as I said, gave you that space to be able to to find stuff. And I went. Um, I got to a point where I, in a, uh, that first job, and I'd, I'd moved from glass collector and did every single job in the in the managed house sector apart from being the the licensed house manager and thought I need to put my money where my mouth is and take a risk here. Mm. And I did, I went into leasing tenancies, took my own pub, hugely successful. Then I said, then I took a second site, which was hugely disastrous um, because I realized that um, it was very difficult to repeat stuff 
um, when it was a single operator led. And I learned from that that whilst that fixed the issue for the business in the short term and the pubco that I worked for, it was the biggest pubco in the, the time, it fixed their issue in the short term, but in the long term, knackered it for both of us because I nearly went bust and they lost a great tenant. Um, <laughs> so um, listen, lots of experience, lots of learning shapes your view, I think. But that that's broadly where I think two styles of operators um, and the operators that come through and will be in that band of people that we look back on and say, that was the best guy I worked for. She was the best um, boss, the best leader I ever had land somewhere in the middle of that sweet spot scale, because they can, as I said before, we can teach the technical and tactical stuff. That's the transactional base. Mm -hmm. What we're looking for is to create experience and if you create experience, um, that is the compassionate piece that will conflate with the technical and tactical stuff. And then you are really into an area in a space in which I think you'll start to win. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's front and center with a business like, like yours, where so much of the result is dependent on the connection interaction between the thousands of guys you've got running around in the parks doing so many different things. And all the customers that they're either owners or holiday makers, you know, it's it all comes down to those interactions, right? So it's fine for a people business for us to play this commercial and compassionate piece because we're really, really dealing with a lot of customers face to face and we have to make those connections. I'm just wondering, sat here listening to you, I still have this thing in my head that operators in general, and I am a marketer talking about operators, so I can hear the boos and hisses coming down the airwaves as it were but there's always or there has always been in my past a bunch of operators that find it very hard to not just focus on results and when we think about the commercial aspect and all that results push and then we think about the compassionate stuff it tends to be a longer term focus in order to get your people in a place where they feel challenged and supported at the same time. They feel stretched and nurtured at the same time. You give them time to develop. You get to know them as an individual. These aren't quick fix things. And the you've always got as an operator this tension between short-term delivery of result and then this kind of need to develop people to let them learn, let them grow. That's my marketing view, right? From an operator who's in it on a day-to-day basis, am I talking complete guff and it's all about the results? And I don't think it can be from the way that you're talking. How do you balance the short and the long term of it? The results are a consequence of the leadership style that you deploy, aren't they? Yeah, I thought that's what I believe. And I, I, I think you mentioned um, what we're fundamentally talking about here is interaction and experience. Mm-hmm. Now. You and I work and have worked extensively in the leisure sector, retail sector. Hmm. But I think you can apply these, these lead, this thought leadership trait to whatever sector you want to work in, because it is fundamentally interaction which creates experience. If you interact with a customer and that customer has a great experience, they want to come back. Yeah. If you have an interaction with a team member and that team member has a great experience with you, then they're building loyalty and they want to come to you. And I think um, that that principle of um leadership is applicable to whatever sector you work in Mm. you need to get great people around you there are three things that i um i almost have as non-negotiables or my guiding compass in my leadership style which i'll come on to in a couple of minutes Mm. may or may not be of any interest but i think if you 
if I go and buy a pint from you now and I get to the bar and you say, what do you want? And I say, I'll have a pint of bitter. And you say it's 250. Actually, 250. Where, where, where are you drinking, Baz? I come from Yorkshire. <laughs> I live in the deepest, darkest hills of North Yorkshire. I'm going there, it's mate. Not £2.50 here either. <laughs> um, if I go into a bar, we buy a pint, it's £5. You give me the you give me the beer. We've done the basics there. We've yeah. transacted. We've had we've had a service transaction. If I come to you and say I want a pint, and you say Baz, it's great to see you. How are you? And I say I'm really fine, thanks, Andy. Looking forward to having this pint. And you say there you go, it's five quid, and I give you the five quid. Fantastic. We've had an element of hospitality there. I mm. guess mm-hmm. there's a tier above that around experience isn't there so when you start asking about how my wife is when you start asking about how the kids are when you start asking about what i'm going on holiday then we're creating and generating experience that same scenario applies exactly the same to leadership and anybody who comes into work with me i want to make sure we create we don't have a transactional exchange we don't have the base hospitality exchange we create an experience Mm -hmm. because i think when we do that People will then build loyalty. They'll want to work for you and they'll deliver the results. And the results will become as a byproduct of that. Now, you're suggesting that that takes a long time to do. And at the and you put that at the expense of short term results. Mm. I don't think that does. I think you could create a lot of momentum very quickly. And there are three things that I ask the guys that work with me to think about. And that is fundamentally. Um, I ask them to look at their teams that they work with. And I think from an experienced perspective, work with what rather than they work for is important. We're all in this together as a team. We all have different job titles, but that doesn't matter. We're all in pursuit of the same goal, which I believe is to look for experienced creators and generators. So we all work together. But I ask the team that work with me to say, can you be better than me in their approach to people? So they look at the team that are working with them. They're heads of departments. So our general manager might look at his complex manager or our general manager might look at a maintenance manager and say, can that maintenance manager do a better job than I would be doing if I was in that role? Mm. If the answer is yes, then that is absolutely brilliant. Because if they are, the absolute key piece that has to happen then is that that general manager needs to put that arm around that maintenance manager and say, I cannot do this without you. You have all the technical and tactical stuff. You can cut the grass. You can move inside a caravan. You can make sure that we're, um, from a health and safety perspective, totally compliant. You can do all the technical and tactical stuff. But the compassionate stuff is that you now know I can't do my job without you. So I am absolutely going to have you as my A player, my banker. I cannot do this without you. Mm. It might be that you look at the complex manager and think, actually, that complex manager isn't doing the job as well as I would be able to do it, but they can do if I do A, B, C, and D, and I coach them and I develop them and I support them and I stretch them and I give them all of that pastoral, all of that um, edifying care that they need to be better, which is brilliant because those two people then become really important key members of your team that you're going to nurture, you're going to work with, and you're going to make sure they progress. They'll get that. They'll see that. They'll be with you. There'll be the third person that fundamentally cannot be um, better than I would be if I did that job, regardless of the coaching, the training, the development that I gave them. They just can't do it. It's a little bit like I once worked for a guy who said, if you ask a fish to climb a tree, 
every single day of that fish's life, it's going to wake up and think, I am useless. I can't do this. <laughs> Absolutely can't do it. So instead of asking the fish to climb the tree, what we should be saying is, look, Mr. Fish, you're never going to do this. So why don't you go and find a pond that you can swim in and be the fastest fish in that pond? Because I'm going to go and get a squirrel that can climb this tree and get the nut at the top of it that I want. Yeah. So letting somebody go and having a tough conversation pretty quickly is as important as finding somebody who can be better than I can be doing the job. Because if you do that, then what you've got around you, fundamentally in the first instance, are really good people. But really good people that have that technical and tactical transactional training and transactional gain. But then they've also got that compassionate value that they align to their skill set and then they start to deliver. I, I, I completely agree with that, Barry. I mean, if I look back to my own career, I would like to think I was surrounded by really brilliant people. I mean, far, far better than I could do. My job was to set a direction, create an environment where they could just kill it, right? That, that's that's how I saw, saw my role. And just to come back on what you said about my view about the people thing taking a long time, and you can do it quickly. I, all I would say is, yeah, I reckon you can make real impact immediately by focusing on it. I think the genuine connection, the long-term sustainable change that you want to get out of people take takes a longer time. And I guess I would ask, I would ask you, we're talking here, I think, very enthusiastically around the need for the balance of the two. But why is that compassionate thing still not as overt? in many many leaders today do you think what, what what is putting them off is it is it not important is it not their skill set is it why i think the answer is pretty simple i think people think uh, probably one of two two um, issues they either undervalue it mm. don't appreciate the importance of getting the right people in the right place and then looking after them and engaging them but they also this is not an easy thing to do no it's not this is a very, very challenging, hard um, concept to um, to do it. It's hard for two reasons. One, it's difficult to embrace people and have people working for you or with you that are that are better than you than you are. <laughs> you have to be brave in your own in your own scenario to be able to bring somebody in to work with you that will absolutely aspire to be better than you and to have a better career than you. I actually think that's great. I I have great. And this has happened a couple of times. I have great pride in people that have worked with me that have been promoted above me or into a role that is at my level or into a different role um, in a different business that I look at and think, well, oh, crikey, I could have done that. That's that's fantastic. You should embrace that. Do you and think sometimes then, Baz, that's where the imposter syndrome thing comes from? You know, for some because you know what I mean. If you think, oh, I mean, I've got people who are far better than me. Bugger! Someone's going to see through through me. I, I, you, you, you go back to almost lizard manager brain of all. Well, I need to be in control and better than everybody. That's I'm at the top of the tree, right? That's what. Maybe that's where some of the imposter syndrome thing comes from. That's why maybe maybe that's why people shy away from it. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, and we, I mean, we could do an entirely different podcast that engage massively on the imposter syndrome because I don't think anybody has it more than I have. But I think one of the things that I've learned from that. Um, and, and I guess it it, um, it conflates fairly well to the next point I was going to talk about. You can be nervous about having talent uh, and really talented, super talented, more talented people around you than, than you are. And I have that now. Mm. I work with nine regional directors. I look at all of those nine 
and they are either doing the job better than I did as a regional director or will be doing the better will be doing the job better than I could do as a regional director in a period of time. But that's all right, because the payoff from that is that I get a slightly easier rub of the cream. A great bit. position to I'm be back in. off of it. It's okay. Right. I can yeah. ask a question and get all these great answers and think, I would never have thought of that, <laughs> but I'm going to share it. Um, and how you get that is by the positive ownership um, or positive embracing of ownership and accountability mm. and being brave enough um, to delegate ownership and accountability and to embrace the delegation of ownership and accountability. And by that, I mean being brave enough when somebody is working with you um, and they succeed to recognise it and call it out and make sure that that success is shared and is talked about and is seen across um, as many aspects of the business as possible. But also, on the other hand, is to be brave enough to call it out and not call it out in a... Um, challenging, authoritarian, dictatorial manner, mm. but to call it out with a corrective measure intent to put in place. Yeah, And I think if you do that, then you are, as I said before, stretching, engaging, um, compassionately showing the commerciality and building that commerciality across those teams. So having the power to say, I'm the leader here, but I don't know the answer. I don't know all of the answers. And in fact, what's perverse is the conundrum that lands on my desk and I am challenged to find the person who have the best answer is the person who's right at the coal face mm. dealing with it. But that individual at the coal face either doesn't have the confidence to be able to put forward the solution or has the solution, but doesn't have the tools to see the solution through to reality and through positive embracing of um, ownership and accountability and delegating to people at the coalface and empowering them to come forward with solutions, invariably we'll find solutions much more quickly and we'll be able to move, move further forward. And that then starts to deliver that commerciality and that compassionate development. And that's why I think that these are long burners, but they're long burners that can create positive momentum quickly. I, look, I agree. I totally agree with that. I, I would also add on to that. I think whether we or not we use the word, the, the term coalface, but often the guys aren't even, they're not listened to. They're not encouraged to, to feedback. And so therefore they don't. And I think genuinely having the mechanisms and belief in the organization that everybody has a voice is incredibly important and in, incredibly powerful and, and that comes with a whole different bunch of responsibilities because the minute you ask the question you, you've got to listen obviously but you're going to respond and that's not just responding to the good stuff that meets with your approval it's also going back and having a conversation about why perhaps someone's thoughts or ideas aren't going to make it because if you don't do that bit it's just like having a conversation with someone in in, in the street i ask you a question and you just blank me it's like oh well <laughs> Brilliant. I shan't talk to you again. And that's exactly what happens in organisations all the time. But it's winding back to that um, service creation, hospitality creation, experience creation, isn't it? It yeah. is. It's trans we could be as transactional as we want. We can get the job done all day long. I can. You can say to me, Baz, go and deliver 15 million quid EBITDA and I'll go and deliver it. And if you tell me to deliver it, I'll just deliver it. If you 
challenge me and you don't engage me and you don't show me any compassion, I might in fact miss that 15 million quid EBITDA target and deliver you 13 and a half million quid. And we'll talk about the million and a half quid miss and you'll get annoyed with me or whatever and I'll be disappointed. If you engage me though, and we transact and we go through those service hospitality engagement piece, that 15 million quid because I'm engaged and I'm using my commercial awareness and I'm using my entrepreneurial flair and I really enjoy working for you and I feel valued, that 15 million quid suddenly turned into a 17 or 18 million quid delivery and suddenly yeah. three million quid over. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's these two conduits for commerciality and compassion mm. far too often sit separately, um, which is why we end up chasing one or the other. And what are you going right. to chase? You're going to chase the commerciality one because that's what we all think we get paid out on. Yeah. And fundamentally, we do. I have no, I, I understand. I, I don't want this to sound or my approach to sound woolly or soft in any way. It absolutely isn't. No. Because I know I still have to deliver my financial commitments to the business. But what I believe in is, is far more sustainable, far more rewarding, and far stronger to deliver my commercial commitment to this business with some compassion and some experience having been created behind it. And I think there's one, I guess perhaps one final um, point in the triangle, if you like, that I I try and adhere to. And that is to do all of that through what I call executing VIP standards. Okay. And I don't, I don't mean that in a very important person because I'm not a very important person. <laughs> Well, You're a glass collector. We've established. I'm a glass collector yeah. <laughs> who is on the tra- who's on trajectory to get found out. It's not far away. <laughs> when you listen to this, they'll find out a bit quicker, I suspect. Um, but th- that VIP stands for three things, which I think is important um, in this, not in a summary, but it concludes it fairly well. Um, in every experience I create with the people that I encounter, and this is this comes back to what we said three or four minutes ago. If you work in pubs, bars and restaurants, holiday parks, or you work right at the heart of local government in a civil service role or whatever, you're gifted the opportunity. We're all gifted the opportunity every single day to be an experienced creator or an experienced generator in whatever we do. We do this. We do this at home, you know, personally. I, I think I try and apply three things in that regard. The first one is in every experience I create or I'm involved in, is to add some value to that experience. That's the human connection between the individuals that we um, we encounter. So I want to create some value. I want to be able to look back at that interaction, that experience, that exchange that's occurred, and think that I've had an impact in that. Hmm. And that impact might be to... As I said before, recognize somebody's great success or to talk to somebody around an issue that they're struggling with and see whether we can find some pointers to see how we can help them move forward. It might be that we want to look at how we can help um, get some coaching or development into an individual that will make them better. I want to have an impact in all of the conversations, interactions, experiences that we create. And then the third thing, which I think is really important is I want to be able to take a bit of pride in the value that we've created, the impact that we've had, and the experience that we've shared. And I want to be proud 
about those interactions. I'm going to take pride in that. I think what I walk by, it's an old management saying, isn't what, what you walk by defines you. And I think mm. that's right. And I want to make sure that the pride that I have and the pride that I want to instill with the people that work with me, the pride that I want to have around Park Dean Resorts, I said right at the very beginning, it's the biggest. I also think it's the best. But that pride has to start with me. And anybody who's going to interact with me or work with me up and down the business, across the business, whatever, the pride that I have in the business and I want them to have in the business has to start with me. So I think those three things are probably the most important things that I have taken as um, this extremely fortunate, very lucky journey from glass collector to ops director, getting great people around you or getting great potential around you and helping them realize that potential is massively important. Having a real positive embracement of ownership and accountability with the people that work with you and allowing them the space to trust themselves to find the right answer because invariably they will do. And then to deliver on those VIP standards, I think is, is pretty important. And I'd have to say, having had those three key points, as a consequence, I've delivered where almost everywhere I've been, commercial improvement and the hard pound note performance at the end of it. But I haven't prioritised my commercial delivery. I've made sure that I've hit the numbers, but I firmly believe that by engaging people properly, by showing compassionate thought leadership, by giving them the platform to be able to develop themselves and to create experiences out of that is an intended consequence that my businesses on whatever level, whether it was a single, whether I was the most efficient glass collector when I was a glass collector, when I was, whether I was the most, whether I was a successful single um, site operator when I had a tenancy, um, whether I had a regional 60 odd pubs that performed, whether I now help run 66 holiday parks, they all perform. They always have fairly well consistently performed. And I think it's because there is the alignment of, that commercial awareness, that commitment to the commerciality of the business and the delivery of that, but also a commitment to the compassionate improvement, development and support of a team. And I think that's really important. I would wager in today's current landscape of financial pressure and and, and all these other things, whether you are a customer or whether you are an employee, these things, this, this combination, this this red thread of compassion and connection is probably more important than ever. Customers, you will be seeing this, are going to be more choosy with their quid. If they're not getting an experience, they will vote with their feet. You will see that in your business. Any any business will, will see that. Employees too, though, what's ever happened over the last two to three years, whether people have woken up or not yet, they will also be more choosy. Right, if they're not getting that support, if they don't feel like they matter in an organisation, if they don't feel like they've got any level of significance in that business, if they're not seen and valued and shown how they're valued, they will vote with their feet and they'll go elsewhere. Any old sod, I think, can luck a single year performance. You can you can fluke a result, 
this is all about sustainability. You know, you keeping the right people growing, learning, getting better and better, really owning their craft, making brilliant connections with customers and, and the people around them. That means that the next year you're not spending 30, 40% of your time recruiting for more people and retraining more people. You can concentrate on getting the job done. And I, I think this combination of commercial compassion is all about sustainability. I think that is what really sets great businesses apart. And it still befuddles me as to why why more people don't don't get it. Um or at least make a thing of it, you know? And it, <clears throat> it comes back to what we said before, doesn't it? If you we saw this, I was at Green King, for instance, when the recession hit um the last time. And their va- their value for money, the value that people put in their tenor that they go to a hungry horse. Mm becomes ever more apparent yeah. value that somebody spends 350 quid for a weekend away with parked in resorts right now, that value through what we're going through now is just enhanced and tightened. And what we have to do in my current um, business is to ensure that we stay in a place where we provide value for money as competitively and commercially as we can. And that provides great experience because now that the value perception has has heightened has increased on that exchange that they where they'll put their money we absolutely need to make certain that the experience is worth what they're paying for that's from a customer's perspective but it's also from a team perspective as well when you're in the recruitment marketplace and it's so competitive now we're in a scenario it's probably coming to an end where we've probably got more jobs than we have people who are willing to take those jobs I think looking at the the headwinds that we're facing into, that's probably going to change into 2023. Um, but the same principles of service, hospitality, experience that we would apply to a customer should be applied without failure to the teams that come and work with us. 100%. If the experience is rubbish, then they're going to go. Yeah. And if you have high levels of churn in your team, what's absolutely going to happen? You're going to be resetting all the time and not being able to go forward. It's you know, I'm a big football fan. And you look at the most successful teams, those teams that there's a couple of exceptions, but those teams that actually back their guys and say, this is it. We're going to stick with you over a period of time and see what happens result in far more success. than Long-term success, sustainable success. It, and it, it is entirely around um, and this is what our industry, holiday parks, are terrific for, but it's a hidden secret. Um, getting the right people in the right roles and then allowing them to grow results in organic internal succession. And we have a target um, of 70% of our employ- of our appointments to come internally. And we're not far away from hitting that. Mm. And that's brilliant because we've got lots of academies, our Leading the Way Academy, um, is providing people with the right people with the opportunity to experience both the technical and tactical transactional training that they need to learn, allied with some experiential um, exposure and some compassionate thought leadership. And it results in people joining our business now. And it gives me no greater pleasure than to have people who joined as glass collectors now becoming complex managers or complex managers becoming general managers or general managers moving into regional director roles. And mm. somebody ages ago must have seen something in me um, that I couldn't see in myself. 
And I mentioned Chris Wellen right at the very start. Chris was the first guy that I realised, and he gave me the confidence to realise that I wasn't um, I wasn't as weak as I thought I was. Now, I still have that imposter syndrome every single day that says you're going to get caught out one day, Baz. But leaders that deliver on the commerciality but can spot potential and are then brave enough to provide a platform for that potential to thrive, as Chris did with me, will undoubtedly be the very best leaders that we'll ever work with. Um, and it's because they have this ability to conflate commercial awareness and commercial delivery with compassionate and um, care for their team and allow their team to flourish. Which I am 100% aligned to. And we've got to the bit in the show, Baz, that I call sticky notes, right? And I think this is the perfect juncture where I'm looking for you to kind of try and summarise what we need to build this commercial compassionate leadership in in people what would you leave on three little sticky notes that our listeners could take away and have as a sort of aid memoir as to creating this this combination we've, we've talked about today i think i'll go back to those three triangles it's dead easy isn't it i yeah. need to say that i would say you've got to surround yourself with the very best people that you can and if they are better than you then brilliant make sure they absolutely know how important they are to you if they're not quite there yet then support them lend your experience lend your advice coach them develop them to get them to that point point. and if they're going to make it then let's have a conversation that they'll be re they'll be relieved to, to have uh, because they can stop trying to be the fish that climbs the tree and they can go and swim in a pond and they'll get a squirrel. The second piece I would be is to have a really clear plan, understand what you are doing, why you are doing it, how that individual impacts and plays the part in that plan, and then positively embrace ownership and accountability of that plan. You'll still stay as the responsible individual who our general managers are responsible for their holiday parks. They are ultimately responsible but they don't own how short the grass is cut. They're not accountable for making sure that our complex is open at 11 o'clock. Mm. So positively embrace um, the delegation of ownership and accountability. And then the last one, which I think you can apply, as I said before, professionally and personally, is to try and in every experience you encounter, experience that with VIP standards. So add some value, really add a value, look back on that and think, I've moved that forward because of that. Have an impact on that individual experience. So they sit there and think, bloody hell, I really enjoyed that. I understand why I've had that conversation or that interaction. There's been an impact that I'll take away in the last. And then in everything, be able to be proud of what you've done and look back on it with pride. So they would be the three things, I guess. Fabulous. Love that. Great summary to the conversation. Thanks so much for coming on. I know we'll see each other again, but really appreciate your time today, Baz. Andy, thank you. Appreciate it. No problem, my friend. You take care. Okay, everyone. Well, that was Baz Robinson. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about him or any of the topics that we've covered today, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment and subscribe. It really helps. 
I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.